Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak with all kinds of founders and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. The following is my conversation with Evan Marks. Evan is a seasoned mental performance coach. He leverages an extensive wealth of expertise cultivated throughout his long career. With a professional journey spanning 25 years on Wall Street, Evan's diverse experiences include navigating volatile markets, excelling as a trader and becoming an equity partner at a leading hedge fund. His background allows him to offer a unique perspective, not only as a financial expert, but also as a seasoned coach now at the helm of his practice, M1 Performance Group. In this episode, we dive into Evan's coaching experience, including his time with NASCAR teams, pro athletes, and more. We also talk about his 25 years on Wall Street, including what working in that lion's den is really like, Evan's childhood, his time as a college pro athlete, and the lessons he's learned along the way, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And with that, let's get to the show. Here is Evan Marks. It's not usually the case that you come across someone with a very successful career in 2024 who's navigating social media for the first time. So what's been your experience? Quite frankly, fear. You know, I remember I did a podcast a couple months ago and the host goes, you know, you have no social media presence. I said, I'm quite aware of that. And I think, quite frankly, I never had to. You know, I spent 23 years on Wall Street. There was no need for social media. And then when I worked with this group, we were supposed to do social media, but it was one of those things I just didn't want to do. It was a fact that there was a procrastination in doing it. But like we were just discussing, procrastination really isn't the lack of effort. It's really acknowledging the discomfort in a future feeling. So for me, as I'm able to look back and say, okay, man, what is going on? Because this has only been three weeks I've been doing this. And to really acknowledge the fact that I have fear that, do I even know how to write? What happens if people don't like this? What happens actually going on my own was a mistake and people don't give a shit about my content or what I have to say, right? This is the dialogue. And I think what's helpful in my coaching career and in how I handle myself is that that's all right. But the minute I keep that in my head and don't verbalize it to myself, it could build its own storyline. Let's level set for the audience for a moment. So when you say you are going on your own, what does that mean? So I was with a 
trading group for about five and a half years. And I realized that it wasn't aligned with what I wanted to do with my career as a coach. And the only way that I could actually do what I wanted to do was go on my own. And this is the first time, even though I've been in hedge funds and been partners in hedge funds and things like that, this is the first time I'm actually on my own. And there is a bit of fear. Even though many clients are with me still, it was, will I be able to do this? And the number one thing that scared me the most was social media. It wasn't my coaching because I am confident in my coaching and how I connect with people. But this whole other world of social media freaked me out. I just had a conversation. I can't remember if it was on the podcast with Darren Mass, who you know, or somebody else. We were talking about this and wondering, like, what is the root of the fear when we put ourselves out there in front of an audience, be it social media or public speaking or something similar? Like, is it the fear of being embarrassed? Is it the fear of not getting validation? What do you think it is? I think everybody is different, right? We know public speaking is enemy number one for people. The fear of being judged, the fear of being perceived. But I think we all have different experiences. And I think a lot of it stems from growing up. But when we're perceived and judged, it's a very difficult place to be. And what happens is when we feel that way, we revert to the familiar. Now, the familiar is things that we did in the past that seem comfortable. And ironically, the familiar and the comfortable no longer serve us. So you really have to be able to really acknowledge what's going on, right? I spent 23 years on Wall Street. Every day I was nervous. And my assistant used to say to me, how are you feeling today? I said, I'm very nervous. He goes, are you nervous every day? I said, every single day. He goes, but you don't act nervous. I said, well, that takes skill. I'm allowed to be nervous. I'm allowed to feel pressure. However, the minute that feeling gets on the field, gets on the stage in a relationship or in a business, it's not serving me anymore. However, I want to use that power of that feeling to my benefit now. So the intensity of feeling, so I would sit down, I feel nervous, I acknowledge it. And ironically, that nervousness channeled me in. It was my go-to. We'll get to the Wall Street stuff in just a moment, but I want to come back to something you just said a moment ago, which is this idea that the fear often comes from growing up. What do I need to understand about your childhood to understand this fear that you felt perhaps on Wall Street or these nerves or how it relates to who you've become today? I was a high school lacrosse player. And I got recruited to play Division One lacrosse, and I had bad knees. And my freshman year at Penn, I blew them out. Not once, but twice. And my identity as a student athlete was gone. I had an identical twin brother, ironically, went to Penn with me. And he had a successful four years of, of playing lacrosse. He was a captain, this and that. And I think in that time, I felt it was a weakness to show how hurting I was. When we talk about mental health now, where it's become acceptable to actually discuss it, it really wasn't back then. And it took me 10, 15 years to get over it. I didn't want to share it. I thought it was a weakness. But what happened was all these pent-up feelings came out, and they're not in a good way. 
when I started trading, it wasn't about trading anymore. It was about proving myself. It wasn't about the money. I want to show everybody what I was about. Everything became thing of this is what I'm really about. As opposed to I'm hurting. I feel ashamed. I feel weak. And I didn't want to go there. I wish I made conscious decisions for myself back then, as opposed to just following. You know, it's interesting. When I said I went to Wall Street, I never wanted to go to Wall Street. <laughs> I really wanted to be in coaching and teaching from the beginning. Unfortunately, I was pretty decent at it, and it kept me in. How did you end up on Wall Street? So I'll give you a quick background myself. So I grew up in New York, and I was raised by my mother. My father wasn't around much. He died homeless. He had a successful career, but he actually suffered from mental health. And he was in and out of our lives early on, and then he was just pretty much non-existent. My dad was married a couple times, had a bunch of kids, and he really was around. But my mother was the anchor. So I have an identical twin brother. His name is Steven. And I had an older brother named Jason, who was handicapped, who uh, unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. And I think it taught us a lot about teamwork, being together. You know, my mother, she worked one or two jobs sometimes, and we really had to connect as a family. And it was very different growing up in Port Washington, where mother and father were there, kids were doing things. I think my twin brother and I, we started working when we were 12, 13 years old. We thought this was normal. But what happened was all these experiences that were happening, we just weren't really aware of it, of how it was molding us. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Like the experience of working when you're 12 or 13, the experience of having a father figure that's not in the house. Like all those things were, and even to this day, and I have two daughters, it's almost like a foreign thought. Like I can't relate to that because I've never experienced it. Not having that, and I, I don't think my father was a very good role model. It taught me what a great role model should be. My brother Steven's a great father as well. But all the things that we possibly didn't have that I wanted my kids to have. At what age do you feel like this absence of a father figure is having an impact on you? I think it was when my daughter was born. I think that's when it came to a point where you feel this love. And, you know, I, I don't want to say my father never loved me. I mean, I would not have that type of relationship with him. But the love you show for your child is immeasurable, right? It's unconditional. I got it from my mother. I don't know what that felt like from my dad. So that was non-existent. He wasn't a bad cat or this. He was just a sick guy. You know, it wasn't, did anything wrong, but he just did what he wanted to do. But I think having a child brought it to the forefront of the, oh, I wish I had this. Oh, I wish I had somebody to talk to about this. I wish I could have done this. But you know, it's interesting, Adam. I wouldn't be who I am today without this, right? We all have, this is the human experience. 
I think only now in the last decade, I'm able to really discuss this and be vulnerable. Vulnerability. People need to feel heard, supported, and feel important. Right? Those are our basic needs mentally. And I think that knowing that now, I give it to my children, to friendships I have, and people around me. But the thing is that when we repeat patterns, even as adults, it's called something called repetition compulsion, where we think the experience is different, but we're doing the same thing over and over again. That is usually linked to an experience in your childhood. So if we're able to put words to those feelings as children, it gives us such space to express ourselves and to feel. Let's pull back the veil on Wall Street for a moment. So 25 years as an outsider looking in, you know, there's probably many in the audience that want to know, okay, what is the life of a Wall Street trader really like? What are some things about Wall Street that people don't understand? Wall Street is the biggest self-development game in the world. The mental game is 95%. Not taking away preparation, the work you need to do in order to stay ahead of the game. But where else are you able to feel the range of emotions from panic to euphoria and be able to feel those feelings and not act on them? It's crazy for the people who do this for a living. It's a tough job. You know, I was an athlete, so... I never was going to Wall Street and my brother got recruited by this guy named uh, Steve Cohen. And we did, I didn't know what Wall Street was. I didn't even make money. He's like, yeah, it's the best. They're making tons of money. It's competitive. Let's do this. So I started with a smaller company because I was going to go the consulting route. And it was awesome. Making money. It's competitive. It's fire. feels like athletics. But it's extremely draining. You know, and doing it for 23 plus years, it took a toll on me. What was the pinnacle for you in that career over that span of 25 years? And was there a low point? Do you know what those extremes look like for you? There came a point where I didn't care about the money anymore. And in actuality, it was almost chasing feelings. And ironically, the feeling of euphoria sometimes is not as the greatest feeling of panic and despair. And I think the money kept me in it. And the turning point was when I was 45, I had my first panic attack and I was always on a trading desk. And I remember going to work and I was living in the burbs and now I don't want to do this anymore, but now I'm a partner and this is what I do for a living. And sitting in this car, looking at quotes, looking at positions and all of a sudden getting really dizzy. And all of a sudden I'm on the phone, my speech is slurring. For some reason, which was not responsible, I drove back home. As I get out of my car, it looks like I had 27 martinis trying to get to my house. And I told my wife, something's wrong here. My brain is getting hot. And I literally thought it was over. And I saw a neurologist the next day. Obviously, I didn't die. And he says, the amount of stress you put on your brain, you have to make a decision if you want to do this or not. And he goes, and quite frankly... I should make a decision for you. I started taking courses on neuroscience and six months later, I'm coaching Jimmy Johnson's pit crew team at Hendrick Motorsports. And I will tell you this much. 
I've never been more freaked out in my life because this is what I really want to do with my entire existence. And there I am with these massive alpha males. And I feel I'm going to piss my pants. I'm like, really? Is this how it's going? <laughs> what is it about that moment of discovering that here I am in a potential opportunity to do what I've always wanted to do that feels so scary? Like, why is it that people get nervous when the moment they've always wanted in life is finally there for the taking? Because it means something to you. That's why, like, I'm not a big positive psychology guy. These emotions give you that nervousness, fear, all because it means something to you. So if we can use, okay, this means something to me. How do I use this instead of run away from it? How do I channel this, the intensity of these nerves, acknowledge them and leverage it? So when I had to speak in front of all these guys wearing my gray slacks that I thought it was about pay, I literally said to myself, I said, man, I've never been more nervous in my life. Is there a point where these emotions like pressure or, or struggle or what have you, is there a moment where it gets to be too much? Like, how do we channel these emotions in such a way that they serve us is, I guess, the question. So basically, we feel, we behave, there's an outcome, an experience. So now when you talk about these perceived negative emotions, once we start coupling different behaviors with them that are beneficial to you, we actually start to create a new experience. So I can feel this way, but I behave this way, and this is what happens. Now, the brain is always predicting, right? What are they going to think of me? Am I going to screw up? I'm fearful. I'm this. I'm that. So now when the brain predicts into the future, now that pool, right, used to be, oh, shit, I fucked up there. Oh, as a kid, this happened to me. When I was nervous, this would happen and didn't work. But now as we're able to take these emotions that we all have, couple them with new behavior, right, taking the unconscious, making it conscious. And now the result's different. So now when the brain is predicting into the future, it's like, wait a second. I've been in this situation before and I've done this. So now we're not really predicting from a survival standpoint. I know this sounds a little cliche, but we're predicting from a thriving standpoint. Wait a second. Maybe when I am nervous, scared, fearful, that's my go. I don't need to be happy to do this. I think you have it dead on because interesting if we just put this through the lens of public speaking for a moment and we take someone that has very little public speaking experience and then we take someone like i don't know a taylor swift or a prince or a robbie williams and i pull up these examples because if you've watched any of these documentaries about these artists they all talked about they get this overwhelming sense of fear and anxiety right before they go on stage. And the only difference between that performer who's done it many times over in front of hundreds of thousands of people over the course of many years and the person who is so afraid of public speaking and has only maybe done a couple of talks is that artist's ability to channel those emotions in such a way that they serve them. So... I think there's something comforting in just knowing that these types of emotions happen to everybody. I think what you've said is so important. 
comforting. This is the human experience. We have emotions. But to know that through fear, frustration, rage, embarrassment, you can find footing and to move again, sign me up. So I don't have to put things on the shelf and sweep them away. No, there's intensity in them. I like the fact that I have rage, anger, and all these things, but I know how to channel it right. Not perfectly. And I have to leverage it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Having coached NASCAR teams, pro athletes, C-suite execs, Wall Street traders, portfolio managers, all these archetypes, what are the through lines or patterns that you've extracted across these different silos? What I've extracted is that when you give them permission to feel whatever they want, it's the beginning of something incredible. Like actually giving somebody, saying, man, you can feel whatever you want. Giving somebody permission. You know, when I talk to companies, providing a psychological safe place to actually say what you feel is huge. Biggest athletes, the most aggressive entrepreneurs, traders, PMs to say, I hear you, and that's fine. What can we do with it? What's the craziest thing someone has ever said to you in this moment where you've given them permission to be open? I had a, a hedge fund trader who paid me like, why the hell is Scotty coaching? And the things he saw as a child, which is awful, and he never told anybody. Then you could see it was showing up in his trading. You know, something called survivor skill, where why did he live and somebody else didn't? And all these things, and it was coming out. And imagine, like we talked about earlier, the resistance of opening up about this. I mean, this kept them safe. And once it started to come out, you know, Adam, my job is to listen for what people are not saying. And I knew there were certain things that weren't coming out yet. And my job is to ask questions, right? Because I'm, I'm not you. I can't tell you your experience or how you feel. And I don't want to suggest because I'm not you. And when this started to come out, obviously it was heavy, but man, the transformation, it was incredible. And this is why I love coaching. What do you think the role of a coach is on a very sort of fundamental level? And how does it differ from the role of a therapist or a psychotherapist? My therapist and my coach, he, he acts the same for me in the same matter. I think at the end of the day, people come to me for results. They want results. And what people say to me, and when am I going to see results and say, I don't know, that drives them nuts. I said, I can't guarantee you anything, but I will say things will look different. Now it's up to us for commitment, honesty, and dedication. But I think the difference is, I think in therapy, we talk about our past traumas a lot. Right. And what I do is I think it's important to understand where we're starting from and to really get to know the clients. But then I'm also love results. So 
once we know the why, now the how goes and we start stretching and leveraging you. But all along, making sure that your mental capital is safe. So this is, you know, I'm not a motivational coach, even though I have a lot of goddamn intensity and passion. And I just love working with people. But to know that their mental capital is safe and we can still run and gun and push this thing, that's coaching. I want to come back to the social media stuff because I don't think we closed the loop on it. You posted something a couple days ago, actually. So I'll just read these simple rules. I want to get your take on it. So rule number one, if you do not go after what you want, you'll never have it. Rule number two, if you don't ask, the answer will always be no. Rule number three, if you don't step forward, you'll always be in the same place. This pretty much sums up this conversation in a way. Would you add anything to this list? I think it would be almost like give yourself permission to be human, right? Which means give yourself permission to be comfortable with, like, like what you just said, which I thought was great, to have all your emotions. It's a part of who we are. If we could use that, it's huge. Give yourself permission to feel whatever the hell you want. Write it down, verbalize it, but get it into the light, right? Because when we leave it in the back of our brain, it could start momentum that is not desirable. We cannot control how we feel, but we sure as hell can control how we behave. Do you think, and I'm asking this question in the context of social media, that we are in an era where people are sharing too much to their own detriment. Adam, I've literally had a conversation. I think it was my brother or somebody else yesterday about it. I think vulnerability is important. I think being authentic is important. But it's got to be done for the goddamn right reason. If I'm being authentic in order to tug on people's heart to sell something, and this is what's killing me with social media right now, for me. So I have to be on social media. I have to tell my story. But I don't want to do it to tug people's hearts so they work with me because misery loves company and things like that. Because I give a fuck of what I do. And I believe in authenticity and being real and being vulnerable. My biggest fear is that for myself, right? I like to talk about my experience, that it comes off in a genuine way. If it helps somebody else, okay. But if I am doing it, because that's what social media does and that's the right way to sell because you get to people's pocketbooks better that way, I want out. And I, you know what's interesting? This is my biggest struggle right now with social media. For me, how do I get my message across? Because I literally can't stand when I read stuff like that. Because I know what they're trying to do. And I don't think it's kind. I've been battling this question, Adam, for three weeks now. You nailed it on the head. I think sharing your stories is so important. Like many people, I learn by example and listening and visualizing. But in sharing the story, there is a responsibility. And you have to be aware of that. The space you're playing in right now is so noisy. I mean, there are so many people in the quote-unquote coaching world 
right? They're putting themselves out there, calling themselves a coach. Really, anybody can do that. The barriers to entry are so low and you see it all over social media. I wonder how you think about navigating those waters. It's interesting, a gentleman who I just met, you know, he's talking about followers. He's like, it doesn't matter if you're a good coach, it matters how many followers you had. And I literally took a walk after that, I almost vomited. I'm like, fucking really? Like, I've been doing this for five and a half years. I went back to school. I've studied. Like, that's all that matters. But anybody could do it. And my comment to him was, it won't last long. You know, I've had my clients, have been with me for four and a half years. They stay with me. Such a difficult question. And I fear sometimes it's not buyer beware. So I don't want to say that because you know what? I don't have my PhD either. Right. And there are some incredible coaches out there. You know, I'm not certified by ICF, but I work with this woman. I went back to school. I think that as a client, when you have a coach, test the worst. See if they're listening to you. See if they actually fucking care about you. How can you tell if the coach actually cares? That's a tough question. You know, it's like when I work with clients, you know, some just once a week, but I'll say, you touch me anytime you want. If you need father and son, you tell me, I'm here for you no matter what you always have me. I think you can feel when somebody's genuine, who's really wants to help, who really listens, asks questions. You know, I've been very fortunate to have good coaches and I guess I've picked them wisely. It's a very difficult question. Evan, this has been so much fun. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you think is important to touch on before we wrap? When we talk about feelings and we talk about behavior, it's like anything else. You have to put your reps in, right? When I say, when we can feel whatever we want, we pick a behavior and it creates a new experience. It's not like going to see the Eiffel Tower and saying, oh, that was a hell of an experience. What you're actually doing is you're, you're recreating a new operating system for yourself where these behaviors in the past no longer serve you. Behaviors change before feelings. And when we're able to realize that, we are able to create new experiences. And that has to be nurtured. As I always say, don't take that for granted, but take advantage of it. You have to be conscious of what you're doing. M1performancegroup.com. That's the URL. Evan, where else can they find you or connect with you? Well, I know we have a little thing for for your listeners. It's, it's M1 Performance Group forward slash E2. There's a webinar called the M1 Mental Model. There's a questionnaire and there's actually a discovery page where if, if you found this interesting and helpful, give me a ring. Let's have a chat. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. So that's M1 Performance Group forward slash E2 for listeners. And Adam, thank you for having me. Evan, thanks so much for the time. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Entrepreneurs Exposed is brought to you by Scriberbase. Build your subscription business and thrive. More at Scriberbase.com. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your audio. It helps our audience find us. You can also visit us at glow.fm forward slash e2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on.
Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement. Inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electricast.